Hello and welcome to the OD&D podcast. My name's Joe Smart. I'm delighted today to be joined by Tim Keogh. Now, Tim is someone who's a, well, a bit of an inspiration to me, really. He's uh, the founder or the co-founder of A Kind Life, which is something which really promotes kindness and civility and respect in a way that is easily digestible, very uh, user-friendly and makes sense almost immediately. And today on the podcast, we're going to be talking to Tim just about how he uh, designed Kind Life, looking at his uh, the books that he's written, the, uh, the, the training courses he's produced, and really how he's sort of led from where he was all the way to really influencing and changing uh, NHS culture. And hopefully we'll get to talk a little bit about his uh, most recent um, uh, attendance at an award ceremony, which sounded very exciting. So Tim, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Joe. Um, thanks for having me. Very kind words. Thank you. <laughs> well, I've been trained well, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trained very well. And so, um, so yeah, so welcome to the podcast. Um, so just to, just to kind of kick us off, do you want to just give the listeners a bit of a kind of background bio on yourself, sort of, you know, your, your, your story to date, your career to date, and just kind of how, how you come up with the idea of a kind life and, and where we, how we got to where we are today? Okay, yeah, well, that's a, that's a series of questions. I'll see how, how well I can do. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, my 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 career to date um, is quite varied. I started out working in advertising many many years ago before I realised it was kind of a bit specious, um, and um, and then spent some time. Um, well, I've worked for myself for about 30 years. I've had my own businesses okay. for about 30 years now. Um, the first one was, uh, uh, was an e-commerce uh, business, um, designing and building websites during the first dot-com boom. Um, out of the back of that, I got really interested in customer experience and then mm-hmm. realized that to have a great customer experience, you need a great colleague experience, which is really what um, Kind Life um, is primarily about um, and um, and set about helping organizations to build great uh, customer experiences, great colleague experiences. I've actually been doing this now for about 15 years wow. um, through a range of different vehicles. But it was about three years ago that um, I was working for another consultancy I was also uh, an owner of, and we just had a few differences of opinions. People... People do. It's a bit like musical uh, musical differences in the band. We want yes. to head off in different directions. Yeah. And, um, uh, and I, what I really wanted to do was just focus on kind of culture, mm-hmm. um, whereas the rest of the consultants were interested in doing different things. So mm-hmm. about three years ago, we demerged a kind life out of um, uh, out of that consultancy, uh, with a focus specifically on. Um, creating kind of culture and in fact most of our work I would say probably about 90% of our work over the last three years has been in healthcare primarily the NHS although we also um, we work in we've been working recently in New York and New Zealand mm. um, and, uh, and other healthcare systems and other healthcare systems too so that's kind of the potted the potted history if you will. Yeah that's fantastic it's it's what's so interesting is when I listen to um your uh you did a, re- a recent webinar which is if you if, and i'll put links into the bio for this organization. please do yeah but they're they're brilliant if you get a chance lunchtime sessions they're really brilliant and when i was i'm a sort of i do you know coach nlp on that kind of stuff but it feels like you weave a lot of those kind of things into how you um do that kind of training and it i don't know a question i really wanted to ask you is that 
something that you kind of you've studied or trained in or something you've just kind of picked up picked up through your career kind of to date yeah i mean i'm i'm um i guess there's uh, there's there's two kinds of people well there's lots of two different kinds of people in the world aren't there my favorite kind of two kinds of people by the way is there's 10 kinds of people in the world people who understand binary and people who don't Anyway, but there are two other kinds of people in the world, which is um, which is people who think, you know, that, um, uh, that, that, you know, they got to a position where they pretty much know what they need to know. They close down. Um, and um, and I'm not that kind of person. Mm. I'm seriously curious, um, interested, lifelong learner. But um, uh, I when I left uni as in my last exam, I am never going to do another exam again. So I'm really envious of people who are doing masters and doctorates and those kinds of things. So I'm not formally studying anything, mm. but informally, really deeply studying. I'm interested in how people work. Yeah. Because actually, deep down, I'm interested in how I work so that I can get the best out of this, you know, one lifetime that we've been given. Um and if I can work out how I work, then I can, you know, maybe help other people to work out how they work as well. So um, it's interesting you should talk about NLP. I, I've been, um, uh, I have been on a long journey of therapy. So um, uh, that probably started about 15 years ago. Um, and um, just to try and understand, you know, where my struggles were coming from, where my own suffering was coming from, why I wasn't able to kind of thrive and enjoy life in a way that I wanted to, build the relationships that I wanted to and so on. And, um, and my first ever therapy was, in fact, an, a neurolinguistic programming, an NLP okay. um, course. Um, and since then, lots of different therapeutic approaches, but also reading lots of books and um, and going on lots of courses and lots of you know uh, uh, circles and weekends away and and so on. Um, not just around um, how we think, but how our brains work, how our physiology works, how our relationships work. Yes, yeah, so I am an avaricious uh, consumer of um knowledge about how we work and what i actually realized was this is about 15 years ago was that some of these things that i'm learning i find them really really helpful and other people don't seem to know them mm. so um so it would be a good idea to share them so little by little i started to incorporate um the the things that i'd learned um about how to be more aware of how we're thinking, how to be more aware of how we're feeling, how to engage better with the world around us, um, how to build better relationships with ourselves and others. And started slowly to incorporate those things into the work, into the customer experience work, into the colleague experience work. And that's really where the kernel of all this is. Mm -hmm. I think, um, and I think, you know, I've, um, those of us who work in, um, like yourself, Joe, you know, work in organizational development, we work in personal development. Um, I think we do the work we need ourselves. I think we do the work that we need ourselves. And so what I've been doing is exploring, really kind of learning how this works for me, spreading it out to others, seeing how it works with other people, and then having their learning come back and help that help me 
as well. And I'm in a very, very different place personally now to where I was 15 years ago, to where I even was 18 months ago. Mm. It really is a journey of learning for me as well as as well as for others. So, and I'm not, I'm talking here not just about NLP, which I, I found really, really, really simple and powerful. Um, basically, understanding how our brains work, how we program our brains, and how we can reprogram our brains. Um, but um, uh, psychology, uh, neuroscience, and so on, and so on, and so on. Um, and, and I guess the other interesting thing that I've done is. For me, it may not be interesting for, for listeners, but it's certainly interesting for me, is um, uh, I really don't like received wisdom. Okay. So, you know, people go, oh, well, it's like this, and such and such says that, and, you know, this is how it's always been, and I, I don't like that. I will always go back to sources, to first principles. I will read the – I won't just, you know, take a newspaper story or something I hear in a podcast. If someone mentions them, I'll go back and read the research. Mm. Yeah? Got a scientific training – and understand what is actually being said here. And how does that link into other stuff? Um, and on the back of that, um, rather than just play back to people, you know, the techniques that I've learned from others, what we've actually done is, is develop from the ground up um, our own, my own way of bringing this alive for people. Um, because, you know, at, 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 at a heart, people are actually quite straightforward. And we, we need simple things um, to actually help us to change. So um, so what I've done and what, what's at the core of a kind life is to create a whole new suite of tools, resources, approaches, simple ways of understanding, you know, how we make sense of the world, understanding um, how we work and understanding how we can better engage with the world around us to get more out of it. Um, yeah yeah that's and you're absolutely right on that one it's what's what's so interesting about that is that i think it's uh, you as part of the a kind life which again i'll put links to is mm. a, uh i think it's like a nine minute instruction video <laughs> which you kind of you we use in healthcare which kind of you know explains a kind life and what makes a good day and what makes a, a not good day we talk about mood who do mood heaters and mood hoovers mm. but I'm, I've, I've shown that that introduction video at um the trust induction for the last 18 months and so we it must have been thousands of people must have seen it by now but i watch the crowd every time and there's like <laughs> you can see uh the audience move you've probably seen it as well where you say we're going to talk about kindness and everyone goes well i'm a clinician i'm you know why do i need to be you know i've done three years of a nursing degree or why are you telling me about kindness yeah and then you see the room about about 90 seconds in go actually this is quite interesting and then four minutes in and <laughs> i could take something from this and then by the end you can see that they've actually gone on a bit of a journey and you know and for me it's it's a i think it's like a nine minute video but the way it's put together and how concisely and clearly the messages come through sort of move rooms and change mindsets and it's it's you know it's one of those things that I, i've watched it so many times i can almost repeat it <laughs> repeat it in my sleep but um every time i watch it with fascination and it was just the research and you know to make something very very simple like that and very very digestible for people of all backgrounds and all kind of uh, approaches it must have taken a huge amount of design work to to get that to where it was yeah that's i mean that's i think that's really um uh uh, really incisive of you to, to kind of notice that joe you know it, it did take about 12 years to get to that seven uh, that that nine minute video 
Um, and, um, you know, I have been in rooms with many, many tens of thousands of uh, people who work in healthcare, from porter to professor, from cleaner to clinician, and everybody, uh, everybody in between. Um, and um, yeah, you say, right, we're going to talk about kindness, and you can see the eyes roll. Yeah. <laughs> you start to see the eyes roll. Oh, really? here we go. Yeah. I'm going to talk to you about why a smile is a clinical intervention. Okay, here we go, you know. Mm. And um, and so it's taken, well, when I first did that, I'm going to talk about kindness. I didn't have any of the evidence. All I had was, you know, here are some of the things we can do. Well, now we have a lot of evidence. Mm. Build that up over time. But it's really, really important to, in, in our work, to make this evidence um, simple, easy to get for everybody, and actionable. So we go, oh, I could, as a result of that, I could do this. I could do this different thing. Otherwise, it's just, it's just theoretical. But I remember, um, and I remember recording that, uh, uh, that particular video, Joe. Um, I was, uh, in order not to get um, uh, echo and, and reverb and so on, I was sitting in my coat cupboard <laughs> reading that. Um, uh, it was a cupboard of about one meter square. I had about 20 coats in it. Some of them were quite long. Um, and um, uh, uh, yeah, it was it was a little bit of a surreal experience. Uh, but I'm glad it was worth um, I'm glad it was worth the effort. What's so funny about that is that, you know, it's, if people think that there's, you know, there's some of a, you know, like a multi-million pound studio and, you know, all the kind of crazy stuff. But it's, you know, it's someone talking in a coat cupboard, um, spreading wisdom, which I think is in some ways makes it even more genuine and authentic. Yeah, that, look, you know, that, I mean, we are we're, we're a small organization. There's just 10 of us. Um, you know, we're not looking to rule the world. We're not looking to, you know, to build some massive you know, consulting company or anything. We just want to spread kindness. So right now we want to spread kindness in healthcare because we know kinder healthcare is safer healthcare. When, when colleagues are kinder to each other, um, their well-being improves, teamwork improves, productivity improves, um, engagement improves. When colleagues mm -hmm. are kinder to patients, um, patients, well, you remember this stuff from the video, Joe, um, patients relax, they feel less pain, they engage more with their outcomes, they, um, uh, their surgical wounds recover more quickly. Um, and, um, and when people choose to be kinder to themselves, and that's a really important choice as well, um, amazing things happen in terms of their own well-being and productivity too. So uh, their success at work, um, the outcomes they get at work, the progression they make at work um so uh yeah it's 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 absolutely vital to be um to be having these conversations right right now in particular um when the world just seems tougher and tougher when it seems more and more things going on you know whether that's in the nhs um and we understand that the, the pressures the nhs is under where you know, we don't have winter anymore, um, winter pressures. Basically, we have winter pressures through the summer and kind of winter squared pressures in winter. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and all of the other things that are happening, it's even more important to be doing this, to be doing this work. Yeah, and what's so interesting about that is that, you know, when you do say be kind to people, to clinicians, and most people, no one's going to argue with that, you know, <laughs> why would you do that? Mm -hmm. what, what really resonates is being kind to yourself. That I think that's something that, 
a lot of people and you, i think it re- applies to everybody because you you've got that voice in your head that says things to you that you would never dare say to anybody else but you give yourself a hard time but also clinical people tend to put themselves under tremendous strain and pressure and that kind of being kind to yourself is um and i say i say you know people you look after people all day but your nhs people are the worst at looking after themselves mm-hmm. you always come last They'll put everyone else in front of them and then they'll put themselves last and they'll do it until they can't anymore. Then you burn out. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I don't want to use the, 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 the there's the, 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 the analogy about putting your own oxygen mask on first before you look after others, fill up your own well of well-being before you can pour for others, all those kind of things. Mm. You'll get all of that stuff. We got to remember that a lot of people working in healthcare are mission driven people. Yeah. It's not just a job for people. This is a vocation for many people. And, um, and actually my colleague, Jenny Naylor, um, who did, did her, um, her masters, her organization development masters on, was really, really interesting piece of work on the dark side of engagement. Oh, wow. This is when people are, over engaged so you know we're all looking in in organizations to drive engagement you know engagement is where people are motivated they're happy at work um they're coming to work with a spring in their step you're looking forward they go home feeling energized because they've done great work that's what it feels like to be engaged but um there is a point where people can be over engaged and um uh and that's the point where um burnout starts yeah, that's the point where people um, start to harm themselves because they're putting their work for themselves. And actually, in, in, in healthcare, we see a little bit of a dichotomy there because you might see people get increasingly disengaged with their organizations, yeah, which will itself lead to cynicism and that can lead to burnout. Um, but at the same time, getting increasingly over-engaged with their personal delivery of their own their own area of work yeah. and that can really ratchet up into you know very very harmful behaviors and and, um, and really um worrying outcomes for people yeah absolutely absolutely and it's so you know it's, it's so important that and so just building on something you just said about the wider world i mean you know, we've been through we'll look back at this covid you know time as a monumental shift in how society maybe does work, connects with people, all that kind of good stuff. But it felt like there's this whole thing at the moment about people feeling less well, you know, less, uh, more distanced, less engaged with things, you know, social media and people saying that they're living through screens and all this kind of stuff. And we, we don't have that. And I'm sure, you know, when you talk to someone on a screen, you know, like a Teams thing or, or, or Zoom, you don't really have the kind of back and forth you would as if you just met for a coffee or you're having a, a preamble before a meeting. So, how what's your what's your kind of view on how kindness because it feels like everyone's talking about kindness and you know kindness and well-being days and all this but you see the the cynicism it's all like pizza parties and you know all that kind of (laughs) you know very like tokenistic kind of approach to it so what just really interested in your kind of view of what you think the next kind of post pandemic wise we start to make sense of it kind of looks like and where kindness kind of fits within that oh yeah okay well let me talk a little bit about my own personal experience post pandemic because um and then we'll get into into that because it really shaped a lot of Mm. what i'm thinking about right now so um i got covid before the first lockdown i caught it at the scotland france rugby game at murrayfield yeah and um and nobody knew what it was 
um, at that point. It was all very scary. I was really lucky not for it not to go to my lungs. Um, so I wasn't hospitalized. Um, and, um, and I know a lot of people suffered far more greatly than I did. Nevertheless, at the time, it was pretty scary. I remember day eight sure. in yeah. particular. I'm, 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 when, I, when I did service, I'm looking up the symptoms for sepsis on my phone, you know, because it really did feel like that was the end. I got through it. And then I had a long COVID. So I was inside a lot. I really, I, I, you know, I was, I only really saw my wife at the time and, um, and then only a little. And, um, uh, and I, it was, it was lonely and it was scary. Um, I got to the point, Joe, where I lost my voice. I couldn't speak for three months. And in our line of work, that's yeah. not a good thing. All of our clients cancelled their work. You know, because we couldn't run workshops, couldn't do anything. So I had no, we had no income coming in. Um, you know, there's no, um, uh, there's no, uh, oh, what was that? What's, yeah. Well, we did, the government didn't help us. Let's put it that way. Right. Okay. Um, and um, that was a pretty scary time. I was pretty low at that time. Um, but we decided to kind of go all in and, as a team, the team at that point was just three of us, my co-founders, Jenny and, um, and Paddy, to go all in and use the time we had to actually redevelop what we did. So that's the moment when we redeveloped. We, we did, developed all of our e-learning tools. We had one fabulous client who came back and said, can you run some workshops? But let's try and do them on Teams. Can we on Zoom and see what happens? Um, that was about four or five months after. So I guess that's, you know, early early um, early autumn hmm. in that year um and so things slowly started to open up but i really noticed the impact that the lack of social contact had on me joe we are social beings everybody knows it. Yeah. we are social beings we are not built for these big kind of systems that we're in you know we're not built to interact with screens we're built to be in small social groups with people who we who we know you know, with people who trust us um, to have a lot of downtime, yeah, to just mm. sit there and think about nothing for a while. You know, that's how we're built. And to do that with each other, that is how we're built. And we've just completely lost that. And, you know, um, uh, so I'm going to come back to this because I think it's really, really important. When, um, when we ask people in our workshops, what makes a good day at work? Not just any old good day, but go back and remember the last time we had a really, really fabulous day. And if only it, it were like this more often, you could come in every day with a spring in your step and do that amazing work you aspire to. Remember that day, yeah. that specific day. The top three drivers of good days at work in, in the NHS, even during COVID, we, we, you know, wave two of COVID, we were asking these questions again, even during the worst winter we, we think we've ever had, Number one, appreciation. Someone sees me and notices me and says thank you. Number two, working with great colleagues have got your back. And number three, people who choose to come in with a positive attitude, mood heater, as you mentioned earlier, rather than hoovering up the mood, those are the top three drivers of a good day at work. But I think something hidden underneath all of those things, which is social interactions. And that's really where my mind is going right now. Is how can we re-encourage re people, re-engage with people to have more positive social interactions, to build teams, to be more vulnerable in those interactions? There was a big, uh, there's a meta study 
of longevity. Okay, all the things you can do that will help you to live a longer life. Mm-hmm. And it was across a range of different countries, a range of different, you know, cultures and settings and so on. And they actually found that the number one driver, the thing you could do more of to help you live a longer life is to have more positive social interactions every day. And that's not just with your loved ones. It's not just with your colleagues. It's also with, um, you know, with a barista who makes you coffee every day mm. you know, or with... Um, with um with the conductor on the train when you're coming to work or with someone else that you sit ne- you sit, sit next to you know in your bike or uh when you're when you're waiting at the at the traffic light someone's walking the dog yeah and actually in healthcare it's with people who are walking along the corridor just look up and smile and say good morning those things because actually what happens with that is um is is it boosts all of the great um chemicals that you know help us to live longer mm. serotonin um uh it makes us calmer um uh primarily um oxytocin because it's building those trusting relationships that are so important to us it reduces it, it reduces um uh, cortisol levels that reduces inflammation so it's really really important for longevity but it's also really really important for our happiness um so my work right now is focused increasingly on social interactions and in particular on uh, being real in those and yeah. being human in them um and not just being positive because it's you know we because you know what the world isn't always positive you can't mm. always be happy you can't always have joy you acknowledge when the things aren't good i'll be open about that and vulnerable about that you're more likely need to find joy when it's there um and to do that you need to open up talk to people so yeah for me we have to have another wave and it's not just me talking about obviously there's a lot of people talking about this we need another wave of growth in social interactions growth in people getting off screens and talking to people and meeting with people and so on has to be the next wave in our way of of coping with this world you know getting the best out of this world yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's, it's there's a couple of things you sort of put on there that kind of really resonated. So um, just to share a bit of personal stuff, I um, it was my uh, grandfather's funeral yesterday. Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry to hear that, Joe. But it, but it was a celebration of life because he was 97. So it was, it, was, you know, it was a good thing. But what was interesting was that his um, the handyman from the care home he was at when he died turned up to the funeral. And the handyman turned up because he liked going into my granddad's room each day and they just told jokes to each other and it became a bit of a routine for this handyman he said he didn't really turn up to many people's he doesn't you know he goes around and turns tvs on and helps people out but he just had that you know kind of connected with my granddad really and so what was really interesting that you know somebody did live to 97 and sort of went out on his own terms even when he was lying down and couldn't really you know he lost his sight and he you know Mm -hmm. well but he was still cracking jokes and still making other people laugh and so if you're looking for a proof of concept of what you just said there Tim, (laughs) there's a very very real example of how you know you can keep keep things going just with that kind of positive attitude yeah i think it's brilliant and the other the other bit you um, just just to interrupt just to interject for a moment it's not just the positive attitude it's the positive attitude towards interactions with other people it's those connections that we're looking for positive connections rather than just positive attitude i think that's the difference 
Yes, I think you're absolutely right there. Yes, you're absolutely right. And the the second the second thing you mentioned there, which I think is really interesting, is the so as as an OD sort of practitioner, the fascination for me is the difference between high performing organisations and low performing organisations because mm -hmm. there's there's never like a, a school or a university or a factory of people you kind of pick up and put in a, in an organisation and it makes it brilliant. It's often that ten to fifteen percent discretionary effort that puts you know either makes a great organization or a mediocre organization and i think the what you've talked about there is that kind of it's the difference that makes the difference it's that kind of five percent ten percent difference every day everyone smiles everyone says good morning to each other everyone you know shares when they're happy and supports each other when they're sad yeah. and everyone's got each other's back you know that's when things get tough um those teams will be there for each other but when if that that is absent and times get tough then maybe the teams won't be as there for each other so it's it just feels like as we move into this next phase and i i hear people like stephen bartlett the um diary of a ceo mm. and other kind of influential speakers like simon Sinek and others and they're very much talking this kind of language this kind of the role of a leader is to create the environment where your people can thrive and the way you do that is by making people feel safe and supported and able to innovate but that almost comes back to your point around the social interaction um, element of it and that kind of appreciation you know supportive colleagues and that positive and those that kind of positive attitude towards mood heaters and so if that's that's the mission of a kind life which i i think from being on the outside looking in it is it kind of feels that it's moved from you know why why would we have a talk about kindness and things to very much the kind of question shouldn't everyone be talking about this and how do how do we sort of embed this in everything we do and it's just a really interesting because I know that's kind of what you're doing. So yeah. <laughs> it's just a question, really, because I on this podcast, if people are listening, uh, I know we've got people in the States, we've got people in the education sector that kind of listen to this. You may not have come across this concept at all or in this kind of environment before. So if you were going to speak out to someone who'd never come across this before, I was thinking this sounds amazing. This sounds really good. What? what how would how would they find out more? How would they get involved? How would they... Um, what, how could they take their first steps on the journey towards uh, a kind of life? Oh, gosh. Um, well, um, if, they, if they're interested in developing a kind of organisation, of course, they can get in touch with us. And we have worked in healthcare, but also we've worked in education and we've worked in, in plenty of other sectors as well. For ourselves, how do we start a kind of life? I think it has to start, I mean, it has to start with you. It has to start with us um, to notice um, when I am, how I am with myself, to notice how you are with yourself, um, to notice the words you use in your head. And we, we've, most of us have voices in our heads and most of us, that voice isn't always kind and it's not always kind to us. And I don't think we'd be happy having other people talk to us in the way that we talk to ourselves. Mm. So notice the way you talk to yourself. Notice the way you treat yourself. Um, notice who you put first. Um, and I think it starts, it starts with that. I've actually, you know, there are so many practical things that others, um, that other, you know, minds greater than mine have, have developed over the years. One of the things I've just started doing is, um, is gratitude journaling. So, and in fact, my gratitude journal is very straightforward because I'm, despite the fact that I wrote a book, I'm not a very good writer. Um, uh, I find it frustrating. 
And um, and so I've got a little A5 uh, whiteboard and I've put uh, things I'm grateful for along the top and one, two, three. And every day I will just take the little rubber and rub out um, the eraser and erase out um, th- those three things and write three more. And there might just be two or three words each. Um, and um, this morning I was grateful for my coffee. Um, I was grateful for the fact that I could stand on the beach and have the wind kind of blow the cobwebs out. And I was grateful for the fact that I could smile. I could choose to smile. Mm, I know the difference that it makes. It's simple things, but just to notice the things that actually make, the little things that actually make a difference. Because what happens is once you start to notice them, you'll see them again when they happen again. And you start to focus your attention less on the negative. You know, we're hardwired for the negatives, aren't we? That's how we've survived all these these millennia, hundreds of thousands of years. Um, And you start to notice the positives instead. So that's, I I mean, we could could start like that. Organizationally, um, I think it's a different question. Organizationally, um, I think for me, what I've learned is, you have we we have to be listening to our people and we have to be listening to everybody everybody and asking people what's it like when it's great here and what's it like when it's not great here and being really open to hearing both of them because <laughs> it's you know sometimes people go oh we'll talk about the bad days but actually we have a lot of good days too let's listen to them mm-hmm. well, sometimes leaders say well i don't want to hear about the bad stuff it doesn't happen so much so let's brush that under the carpet you've got to hear about that as well and joe We've talked a lot about, you know, the kindness piece, but actually there's a big piece of this, which is undoing the unkindness. You know, in the NHS, around 25% of people are bullied at work each year. Um, when, if I am bullied at work, studies show that um, around 80% of people will suffer overwhelming anxiety, 50% will suffer clinical depression. You're twice as likely to have suicidal thoughts if you're bullied at work. That's around 29% of people. You know, and people talk about bullying stats and bullying numbers. Um, and these aren't stats and numbers. These are people. These are human mm-hmm. beings. These are people that you're smiling at as you walk down the corridor and they're smiling back because they don't feel safe enough to be able to open up and go, oh, I didn't like that. That didn't work for me. And we know that people with um, protected characteristics, so that's people... Um, people of color, people from black, Asian, minority, ethnic backgrounds, um, uh, differently able people, um, uh, women, um, you know, b- b- people with uh, transgender people, LGBTQI people, um, they suffer even more from those things alongside all of the systemic discrimination that they suffer. Um, and we really need to unpick those two. So half of our work is about encouraging um people to understand the difference that these little moments of kindness can really make to them and the people around them. The other half is having people, helping people to notice these things when they are happening. Yeah. To not normalize them anymore. this, this poor behavior, these, these toxic behaviors to not know, to notice them in ourselves, you know, to notice when we might say or do something that, gosh, maybe I would have said that 10 years ago, but now that that's, you know, and it was wrong then, but now I really recognize that it's wrong. Mm. And I can't be doing that anymore. And I'm going to go and search for some help. You know, what, what ask people, how do I land with you? Do I, do, you know, did, was that right? Could I have done it differently? Could I have done it better? And so unpicking those poor behaviors and supporting people to 
organizations, people, teams, leaders, to resolve them in a way that's safe, um, in a way that's about, not about blame, but it's about learning, you know, what could we do differently? Um, what could I do differently? Um, I think that's that's equally that's equally important. So listening to both of those things, and then really starting to to encourage more of the kindness and and find ways in a in a in a in a no blame way, in a kind of learning way to um, to uh, to reduce the poor behaviours. We've got to do both of those things at the same time, and actually they're different things, and you've got to do them in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's is what you're talking there. It feels like you you almost control well you you sort of notice the kind things internally and then in then try and and then you know, work to enhance the things externally. So your immediate inside and then your immediate outside. And if everyone does that, then hopefully that results in a in a kinder culture. Yeah, and you might you you know, we are just human beings. You know, we're just fallible humans. And we are programmed in certain ways. You know, we have our biases, we have our programming, we have our habits and our shortcuts and the words that we've always used and the things we've always said and 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 stuff. You will, we will all say and do things that if we were to take a moment and put ourselves into the shoes of the person on the receiving end of that, we'll go, actually, that wasn't great, was it? Yeah. And, um, and to notice those things as well and be okay. You know, all of this is about thinking the best of yourself you know, don't beat yourself up, but just believe you can change, believe we can learn. Um, and we can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the gratitude journal, I mean, that's, I kind of, I don't keep it very every day. I kind of sporadically keep a gratitude journal, but I think the, and the reason is, is I'm not a big fan of writing things down either, but that whiteboard sounds like a great idea. I might have to copy that. Yeah. I just got it out and stuck it on the table. So I always see it. It's such you a know, great idea. If, if I've got to sit down and open a book up and start thinking, it's never going to happen. Yeah. No, such a good idea. And what what's really interesting that as as part of one of the things I kind of run, I do like an OD club where we kind of get people around the organisation and wider to come and talk about all things OD. And we were talking about gratitude and the power of gratitude um, at one session. And I had a, uh, I think they were clinical psychologists came and talk about a study that they'd seen, which showed that keeping a gratitude journal had the same impact on mental health levels as low level antidepressants. Yeah, I can absolutely believe it. And actually, there was another study talking about social interactions and kindness. There was a study maybe four or five months ago, and it was just the one study, okay? It was a big one, but it was just the one study. So, you know, we need to, to make sure there's more data mm. coming out. But this showed that when um, people who rated themselves as being highly anxious um, intentionally showed acts of kindness towards other people, um more than they otherwise would do so went out of their way to 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 you know to 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 demonstrate acts of kindness towards others over a period of time that intervention um was even more effective at reducing levels of um of anxiety another study showed increasing happiness and um uh, and decreasing social avoidance behaviors as cbt and antidepressants combined wow wow that's huge yeah. yeah yeah no i'm not saying people should stop taking their you doing their cbt or taking their antidepressants uh, i mean i'm on a i'm on a i'm on a low level of citalopram right now given some of the stuff that happened you know over the last two or three years i've alluded to some of it and i find it really helpful um mm. but i am suggest because 
you know, these things have been proven to work, particularly CBT and antidepressants together. But um, but it's another tool in our uh, another another arrow in our quiver there. That's it. You know, there's something yeah. else, another behind, something else we can do to make things better. Yeah, that kind of toolkit approach, I think, is brilliant because we use it for physical things, don't we? You know, you have a tool, you know, for fixing things. You have a tool for everything, and in yeah. physical physical environment, you have you know different color pens and you know different workbooks and everything. But for the for the mental approach, I think having as many tools as you can is part of that. As you said right at the beginning, that kind of journey of self exploration and 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 learning about yourself and the, and the wider world. Yeah, and actually, the the tool that we've developed. Um, that we haven't spoken about yet, which is which is because I haven't spoken about the book, um, is is how to speak up, how yes. to how to have how to give kind of feedback, how to talk, how to talk about the things you need to talk about, have what people sometimes call difficult conversations, but I don't call them that because you know what they can be easy mm. um, to have those conversations, the ones you really need to um, when you need to. We call we talk about talking it out without falling out. So yes. yeah. um, I think that the one tool that we've developed that's had most impact is this is called BUILD. Mm. Um, uh, BUILD is an acronym. Um, it's five simple steps, um, each of which um, represents one step in um, in the approach of, of giving giving great feedback and turning that into a conversation about what we could do better or, or differently um so yes yeah, is one example of um uh of uh of these of these tools that we've of these tools we've developed yeah I and you just know, the great the crazy thing is i just made this stuff up <laughs> well you know i just made it up um and um you know and what, what we often do is we look at everything that's out there in the market you know everything people are using and go well i like that bit and i like that but that doesn't work and what on earth are they doing that there's a there's a feedback model called fear. I mean, why would you call it fear? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's a, it, it, I'm never going to use it. I mean, it, I just say yeah. the word fear and, and I, and, and it builds up my cortisol levels. I'm so much as likely to, 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 to speak up. So, um, but then what we've done is test them and hone mm. them, test them and hone them in the real world with tens of thousands of people um, to see them work. And I guess that's one of the differences with us is, you know, I'm not going to write a. I'm not going to write a. Um, uh, you know, a, a, a publisher a, a paper on these things. Uh, I just don't have the patience to do that. But what we will do is test it with met with thousands and thousands of people in the real world and get feedback from the real world about what works and doesn't work. Yeah, it's a very kind of engineering approach. Is that? Um like an evolutionary approach rather yes. than, I've rather gone I've got a hypothesis and I'm going to test it and then I write a report on it it's I've got this let's run it and see what happens and then run it again and see what happens next <laughs> yeah yeah and then we run and run and run and run to the point where it's really really working yeah and like you say back to the, the video that you know that nine minute video is 12 years in the making and yeah. the book the book is equally brilliant and I, I sticks in my head every time i think about it i just think of the leaning tower of pizza which if, yes. you've, read the book, <laughs> if you've read the book you will get but it, that's what i think about <laughs> when i think about the book and the build approach which i think i've it's one of those things that i've i've whether I've internalized it now, I don't know. And I can, it's always worth revisiting, but it's such yeah. a great approach of building and breaking down what, again, back to that, giving yourself a hard time, you know, having a difficult conversation can be some, sometimes the the most difficult thing you can do. And but having it's the an approach, most important thing you can do. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that having that framework, even just to think through, I think is just so helpful. So I don't know, would, would you mind just running through the build steps just in case people haven't um, come across? Graph, no, yeah, 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 of course I, of course I can. Um, so, um, yeah. So, and if you're interested, of course, um, we've got um, kind of feedback, talk it out without falling out on uh, available on Amazon and that's it. Um, so B stands for behavior. And the purpose of this step is to describe to the person who you're giving the feedback to what it was they said or did that you didn't like or you found hurtful or um, as a behavior. So the idea is to describe it factually. And what's really important here is to cut out judgment. You describe it in such a way that everyone has to agree, yes, that is what happened. Um, and the moment you hear yourself or you say you are, you've got, you've got to be worried because the alarm bell should go off because that's when a judgment is coming down the track, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, you, you just said to me these words, okay, not you are rude or you are mean or you're a bully or you're insensitive, um, because they'll disagree and you'll argue. Yeah. And the point of anyone who's ever done, done any work in mediation knows the first thing you're looking to do is to start out from a point of agreement. Yeah. yeah so the behavior is about describing, what happened, so that they know this is what we're talking about. It sets out the context. Um, the U stands for understand. It's in brackets, actually, when you see it printed out, because it's unsaid. This is about empathy. Just step into the shoes of the person who did this thing just for a moment and sign it in your own head, work out what might have been going on in their world with some, uh, with some generosity towards them that might have led to this. Yeah, that might make it not excusable, but at least understand where it came from, build some empathy. Um, the I stands for impact. This is the point where you can let them know the impact that they had on you. So, um, you know, you've just raised your voice and um, and it's making me feel really nervous and making me a bit scared, actually, to be honest with you. And you can own that stuff. Um, you can absolutely own that stuff because how you feel is absolutely up to you. And then we turn it into a dialogue. So the L stands for listen. And you ask the other person, so, you know, what's your perspective? What was happening for you? We never ask why. Why is an intensely unhelpful question. If you ask, why did you do it? All the justifications will come out, won't they? Um, mm. And um, and it'll, it'll inflame the situation or heat things up again. So what was happening? What's your perspective? I'm interested in, you know, what, what your thinking was, you know, what, what were you trying to communicate? What were you trying to, what were you trying to achieve? And you listen to them and you don't say yes or no. You listen, you don't agree or disagree. You listen, you just listen. And when they're done, and you'll learn a load of really important and useful stuff. And then when they're done with that, the D is the restorative piece. It's a, it's the discussion. This is where you really start to build relationships and build resolutions because the D says do differently. What could you do differently? What could we do differently? What needs to be different? And that's all about talking about moving forward. You know, getting past what didn't work into what could work differently instead. And that's where people start to get creative together. That's where people start to come back together again. So build is, yeah, it encapsulates. It's, 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 it's almost a yeah, simple um, encapsulated process for pretty much having any difficult conversation you ever need to have. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's, if people are listening, I've not come across that before. I'd definitely say check out um, some of Tim's stuff. But if next time you are having a difficult conversation, just writing down build, like just uh, as I often do, and then just putting my thoughts down onto the page in that way, just sometimes just, just so helpful in terms of ordering. And so I'm, I'm controlling the conversation rather than that rush of adrenaline and I'm, you know, yeah. in a, in a different, very dip rather than a, a controlled, um, sort of orderly stepped approach you've, you've gone off on the the other end and you're just now speaking from emotion and that, that doesn't really help it doesn't anyone. help it doesn't help at all no it doesn't help at all um and actually come back loop back to where we started joe um talking about you know why where, where do we come into all of this um uh you know what why 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 kindness um uh you know and how do we start to develop the models and the tools and the approach well um i think about for probably 45 years of my life, I was unable to say what I needed. I was unable to speak up. I was unable to talk about things when they didn't work for me. I just clammed up because I was scared of the, I was scared of the, the, the outcome. I was scared of, you know, how people might react. I was scared people might not like me, Joe, to be honest with you, that's where it was. Um, and, um, and so this journey of really under, uncovering this de- designing build, uncovering it, um, developing it, refining it, um, has been my journey from I couldn't speak to now I can when I need to. I don't always. Sometimes it's better just to let it go, you know, because we're mm. all humans. We're all doing the best we can. But often it, it's better to talk about it. Um, so I've been through that journey myself. And really the book talks about talks about that um that journey um you know the best models the best approaches the best ways of doing things if we've learned to do them ourselves because we needed them ourselves um and certainly i found it helpful to me and and the fact that you know other people find it helpful too is uh um is a cherry on the cake really yeah that's really good the book i've got your book that i've got um is so well thumbed i think i might even use it as the thumbnail for this picture because it, <laughs> it's bent sideways and all sorts just being brilliant in my pockets and books and everything so yeah really a really great book so um just because as i'm conscious of your busy schedule tim we're moving towards the end of the podcast i just wanted to ask one more question which is so what's next for a kind life because you obviously got you know it feels like you've got momentum and you've got a fantastic sort of set of principles and fantastic thinking and products and everything else so what what's next for for the kind life yeah oh interesting question i don't know what do you think um so uh what we're doing at the moment is um we're we're deepening and extending enriching um our understanding of what kindness looks like and how to really bring it to life in organizations so um over the last kind of nine months we spent a lot of time digging into um uh, racism and discrimination um and uh, equality diversity and inclusion it was always an important part of what we did um but now um we've been really deeply exploring exploring that and understanding how that how we can be a, a, a small part of um, the movement to to tackle those um, tackle those terrible both you know personal and systemic issues, and at the same time um, 
start to encourage you know behaviors that look very very different decisions that look very very different um, to what people have experienced before we've had the the, the we've been lucky enough to be working with london ambulance service uh mm-hmm. on developing that approach and um uh and and looking at you know maybe some different ways so uh, our human practical ways of starting to unpick some of this um some of this stuff so certainly that's um that's been really important for us so we tend not to look too far forward um frankly um you know we'll um we don't want to take over the world um we just want to try and help make it a kind of place um and you know we'll look at the things that are the the the, the topics that are really important to people that you know the changes that we can make our small or the areas we can make our small changes to and we'll just focus on that yeah that's fantastic and it's you know when you do if people do have a kind life i think it's module three there's a whole section around equality diversity inclusion which is uh it feels like it's hidden not hidden away at the back it's got to go somewhere but it's such a great kind of approach and i think people are sometimes a bit um taken not taken aback but you know i thought i was talking about kindness and now we're talking about equality diversity inclusion but actually yeah. then the connection that they're fundamentally linked <laughs> absolutely and now actually we're not just talking about we're talking about racism yeah, the thing yeah. you're talking about. Yes, no, it, it was a little bit hidden away because that's um, in the kindness into action e-learning tools, online learning tools, and that's a part of the speaking up module. And um, uh, I would suggest in about six months' time, we're going to have some very, very different tools available around uh, around that topic, which um, where it will be front and centre. That'd be brilliant. I mean, I think the thing, because it's something we work on quite a lot, is getting people uncomfortable, getting people comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. Mm. You know, yes, it is going to be a bit painful talking about this. And yes, you may say the wrong thing, but it's that's far better than not saying anything and pretending it's not going to, you know, it's just not there. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Very well. Any, any, tools you've, any tools you've got for that, Tim? I'll, I'll snap your hand off for those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, watch this space. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, that's that's pretty much. Uh, I know that's pretty much our times up there, Tim. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us on the ODND podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you, and I will put uh, links and um, uh, connections to Tim and his work in the bio. But for Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Tim. An absolute pleasure. Um...